take our Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 17. Psalms chapter 17. We just finished up our small group. Hey, brother, how's it going? Good to see you guys. Um, <clears throat> our vertical church, which we went through, it took two months to go through James McDonald's material, and it was a blessing to learn what it means to honor God and glorify his great name and to keep our, our focus vertical. And so, and then there, the other group, Don is leading on Tuesdays. You have a couple more meetings, right? Two more meetings on Tuesday nights. And so God just keeps showing up to do some great things inside of these small groups. And so I just wanted to mention that. And also yesterday, the ladies had a retreat. Any of the ladies go to the retreat? Raise your hand. Woo, let's hear a holler, holler, holler. <laughs> How about really quick before we get into Psalm 17? Some of those ladies that were at the retreat um, just really was praying for you all day yesterday. And just asking that God would do something phenomenal in your life. Just maybe a one-word testimony. If you could kind of narrow it down to one word. I know that women typically have more words that they use throughout the day than men. Uh, but try to keep it down to a one-word testimony as you describe what God was doing yesterday. Some of those ladies. Let's hear from you. Nice and loud. What were they? To be still. Actually, that's three words. To be still. Come on. To be still. <laughs> Any others, that, ladies, that you were there? Relationships. Connecting. Psalm 17. Any others? Humility. God showed up yesterday and was doing amazing things, and so we're excited about that. Uh, but not to forget about the guys, too. Act Like Men, December 2nd. And we're, we're talking about bacon. Um, we had some hors d'oeuvres last time. I know the guys were like, what are these? These are like appetizers. This isn't like breakfast. And so I promised them that they would have like a real breakfast with real bacon. And I mentioned turkey bacon because that's what we like at, at the Crow household. And they're like, like, there's almost like a rebellion that happened. And so December 2nd, plan on that. Act Like Men, you have books. If you don't have a book, Act Like Men, then uh, we have copies in the back. And if you're not uh, signed up to be a part of that or have picked up a book, I'd encourage you to, to get that because we want you to be a part of that. I am totally looking for my, my notes here, and somebody likes playing a practical joke on me and took them out of my Bible, and I don't have them. Found them. Good. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to do. Psalm 17 is going to speak to us. God's Holy Spirit is going to speak through this Psalm. We're going to look at 15 verses together, and we're going to talk about calling upon the name of the Lord. If you have a, an outline, if you want to write in the blanks, you're going to see them up on the PowerPoint or proclaim as well. Uh, and as, as cool as that might be, or as a little insert that you can write down your blanks, nothing will ever take the place of the Spirit of God moving in and through you, in and through the Word of God to bring this alive. And so if you're just trying to put some information in your brain and you're not turning to the Spirit of God and saying, Holy Spirit, I want to learn something tonight, then you could go through this experience not touching the hem garment of God. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be like that woman who came to Jesus and was falling before his feet saying, I just want to touch him. You can't do that without the Spirit of God. And so here's what I want you to do. We're going to look at Psalm 17. Close your eyes if you have to. Close your eyes and just say, God, I want to learn tonight. I want you to speak to me. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me up. I want you to go to overflowing in my life, that you would cause all distractions to be set aside, all the things, the burdens I've been carrying. I just want those to be put off to the side so that I can hear your voice through the word of God. 
in Psalm 17. Would you pray that silently to yourself? Just say, God, speak to me. Oh, God, speak to me. I don't want to walk through this just as routine or rote. I don't want this to be ordinary. I want this to be extraordinary. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Help us. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people say, amen. Psalm 17, verses 1 down to verse 15. And I want to go and talk through this text of Scripture about prayer. But not prayer, just ordinary prayer. I'm talking about calling on the name of the Lord. And this is where we need to go as a church. We need to get to that place where we're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's different than just praying. I'm not talking about unceasing prayer, which is something that we believe in here at Harvest Reading, which means constant and continuous praying and turning to the Lord and trusting the Lord. I do believe that. But there is a different kind of praying. It's calling upon the name of the Lord as David does in Psalm 17. And if you're going through something right now with your child or your marriage or somebody at work or something physically with you or something even mentally or emotionally inside, there is a place that you need to get and I need to get where we call upon the name of the Lord. And it's aggressive and it's assertive and there is some attitude behind it too. Good attitude, not bad attitude. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. If you've got a non-Christian friend or coworker and you know that they need Jesus, you've got to call upon the name of the Lord. What's going on in David's life here in Psalm chapter 17? What is happening here? Why is he so passionate? If you look at verse 6, we'll go there first, then we'll back up, and I'll go through the text with you and give you four characteristics of a person who calls upon the name of the Lord. Verse 6 first. Look at there. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. When's the last time you ever said to God, you're going to answer me? That's not being irreverent. God wants us to go to him and say, you're going to answer me, God. If it's in the right spirit, David says, I'm going to call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Harvest Reading will only really be the church that conquers evil. How many people know there's evil in Reading? How many people know there's evil down in Morgantown? How many people know there's evil out in Sinking Springs and up there in Fleetwood? There's evil everywhere. And if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we need to learn how to pray like this. How do we make disciples? You can't do that without calling upon the name of the Lord. I love David's confidence here. Years ago, I read this book here, and I'm going to highlight it. I've talked about Jim Symbol. Anybody heard of Jim Symbol of Brooklyn Tabernacle? Anybody? Well, I'm going to introduce you to him, because uh, most haven't. So I uh, started a church many, many years ago, late 70s, in Brooklyn. Uh, this book is about that story. It's about the Brooklyn Tabernacle and how God showed up. Uh, with just a half a dozen people, the building's broken down, thousands of dollars in debt, nothing, absolutely nothing they could offer anybody. There's prostitutes outside the front door, there's drunks coming in, people on crack and heroin in, in the city of Brooklyn, and, and it was just a mess. And so Jim Simbola comes, he's given this church, and he's just like, God, if you don't come and visit this church and show up, absolutely nothing's ever going to happen here. And so they wrote this book. He wrote this book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I'm going to quote some of this because it, it has everything to do with what we're going to talk about tonight. This is on page 22. He said, after we had some Sunday night times of prayer around the altar, when people got into the habit of calling upon the name of the Lord, our attendance grew to 50 or 60. Sounds like about where we are, right? But I knew God wanted to do much more, and he would if we provided good soil in which he could work. I was tired of the escapist mentality I had witnessed since childhood, always glorifying what God did way back in some revival or else passionately predicting that the coming great move of God just ahead. The truth is, 
I knew there would be countless churches across the city and the nation that had not baptized a hundred truly converted sinners in a year, and most not in several years. Any growth came simply through transfers from one church to another. New York City was a hard mission field, but transfer growth was not what God had in mind for us. Most churches in America are growing not because of conversion growth, not because people are meeting Jesus, not because people are being radically saved, not because people are being healed. They're, being, they're, they're growing because people are transferring from one church to the other. And sometimes you need to transfer from one church to the other. No question about that. What needed instead was a fresh wind and fresh fire. We needed the Holy Spirit to transform the desperate lives of the people around us. Alcohol, heroin dominated the neighborhood. LSD was also a problem. Cocaine was starting its wicked rise. Prostitutes were working a couple of street corners within three blocks of the church. Urban decay had clearly set in. Anybody who could make any money was trying to get away from our area. Kind of sound like Reading. <laughs> People aren't coming to Reading. They're leaving. It's a very similar situation. I despaired at the thought of that my life would slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. Carol and I didn't want merely to mark time. I longed and cried out for God to change everything, me, the church, or our passion for people, and our praying. One day I told the Lord that I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and the spirit, but never seeing it. I abhorred the thought of just having more church services. I hungered for God to break through in our lives and ministry. About that time, I came down with a cough that would not go away. I hacked and hacked for six weeks to the point that Carol could hardly get any sleep at night. I was spitting up phlegm every day. My in-laws became so concerned that they said my airfare, they paid my airfare to go down to St. Petersburg, Florida and get some rest in the warm sunshine. Gratefully, I headed their way. The only bad part was leaving Carol and two old Chrissy behind. One day, I went out on a party fishing boat with 20 or 30 tourists. The sky was azure blue, and the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico lapped soothingly against the sandy shore. Seagulls swooped and squawked overhead. The sun felt good for my congested lungs. As we launched out into the deep water, the others laughed, and they talked about fish. They hoped to catch that afternoon. I held a pole in my hands, too, but my mind wasn't on fishing. I moved down toward the end of the boat and away from the crowd and stared at the far horizon. I began mulling over the many ideas and strategies I had heard or read on church growth. One Christian leader had told me, forget about the institutional church building, quote-unquote. Home meetings are where it's at these days. You might as well sell your building. God is doing a new thing. A once large and historic Baptist church a few blocks away had invested heavily in a fleet of buses trying to bring in large numbers of children. The only results were high insurance rates, chronic vandalism, and an unchanged church. I attended larger churches that seemed to center on bringing in popular speakers and singers, whoever was hot at the moment. This helped to market the church, at least to other Christians. As one pastor told me with a smile, I don't steal sheep, quote-unquote, from other churches, but I do like to leave my gate wide open. Whether that was a valid approach or not, it took money, so forget it. Nobody would come to downtown Brooklyn for a little honorarium we could afford. Moreover, Carol and I frankly admitted to each other that unless God broke through, the Brooklyn Tabernacle was doomed. We couldn't finesse it along. We couldn't organize and market and program our way out. The embarrassing truth was that sometimes even I didn't want to show up for the service. That's how bad it was. We had to have a visitation of the Spirit of God or bust. Lord, he said, quote, I have no idea how I'm going to be a successful pastor. I prayed softly out there on the water. I haven't been trained. All I know is that Carol and I are working in the middle of New York City with people dying on every side, overdosing from heroin, consumed by materialism, and all the rest. If the gospel is so powerful, end quote. I couldn't finish the sentence. Tears choked me. Fortunately, the others on the boat were too far away to notice that as they studied their lines in the blue-green water. Then quietly and forcefully in the words, not with uh, my ear, but deep within my spirit, I sense God speaking. If you and your wife 
will lead my people to pray and call upon my name. You will never lack for something fresh to preach. I will supply all of the money that's needed, both for the church and for your family, and you will never have a building large enough to contain the crowds I will send in response. Lisa and I had a chance to go to the prayer meeting. There There's 10,000 people in this church. The prayer meeting had about 5,000 people in it. So to read the story here, we have to go back in time to where he was in this desperate place where he said, God, I'm going to call upon the Lord. I'm going to call upon you. Only you can rescue. Only you can deliver and only you can save. Some of you haven't done that maybe for years. And you're wondering, why is my family so in trouble? Why are my kids so apathetic? Why are the coworkers not repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus Christ? The question would be, are we calling upon the name of the Lord? Truly. We have to do that as a church. We absolutely have to do that. Let me give you four characteristics. Write these in. Here's number one. Somebody that calls upon the name of the Lord when the pressures from God, yes, from God, God will pressure you on the outside cause what's really on the inside to come out. Let me repeat that. When the pressures from God, God's going to allow pressures. He's going to actually be the cause of some of the pressure. On the outside coming towards you are going to cause what's really on the inside of you to come out. Notice verse 1, David. He starts off the psalm by saying, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Saul's after him. He's a threatened man. King Saul, you remember him. And so he's threatened by David. David had killed his, what, 10,000? There was a song that was about David. And, and so David was doing amazing things. Of course, he killed Goliath, and he has this tremendous testimony. We have Saul who's jealous of him, and Saul's chasing him down, wants to kill him, destroy him. He's jealous. He's threatened. He's envious. And so David is here turning to the Lord. He says, hear a just cause. Now, this is the, the God who is the true judge. Uh, David saying, God, there is no one else I can turn to. I'm not going to turn to an earthly judge. I don't have a lawyer over here. I'm not going to turn to my in-laws, my wife. I'm not going to turn to anybody but you. So hear God, because you're the only one who can answer this. You're the only one that can do something profound and deep here. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry and give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. You see, David's lips were free of deceit. Were they always that way? Well, he fell into sin with Bathsheba. But here in the text, he's living righteously. He's, he's got integrity. He's living for the glory of God. He's got a vertical focus. So here he's saying, these people are lying about me. They're slandering me. If you've ever been lied about and slandered, if you've ever had somebody come after you like King Saul would, throwing spears at you, then you're going to know what David's talking about. I've had that experience. I had that experience about 10 years ago. And I'm telling you, David's life became so personal to me. I studied Saul. I want to know what Saul was driving Saul to do that towards David because I had a man in my life doing that towards me. And I said, God, help me to be like David. Here's David. He's, 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 really, he's really wanting God to bend the ear. He's saying, my father, you're my father. You lean down because I have something I need to say to you. Wouldn't your kids do that if they want to tell you something? Don't your kids go over to you and if they're a really young kid and they'll grab you by the, the shirt and the, or the pants and say, daddy, daddy. And what do you do? You lean down. That's what David's doing here. He's here a just cause, O Lord, and attend to my cry. Verse 2, look at it. From your presence, let my vindication come. He just wants vindication from all of the slander, all of the people believing lies about him, all of the people he once loved, maybe led, turning against him now. Let your eyes behold the right. Verse 3. You have tried my heart. 
You have visited me by the night, meaning at nighttime when nobody's watching God, you've been watching me, you know that I've been living right, you know that I'm a righteous man, you know that I'm trying to be a humble man, a dependent man, trying to glorify your great name. That's what he's saying. You visit me at nighttime, you've seen me when nobody else has seen me. You have tested me, and you, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. In other words, he's not been like them. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Stop there. What's going on here is that David, what's going on inside of David is the transforming work of the Spirit of God. Something is happening inside of him, and this is the same thing that happens to you. God is doing something inside of your heart. You know it. You know it. You just know that you're not the same person you were a month ago or a year ago. What is that? That's the Spirit of God doing something inside of your heart. Well, David's facing some amazing pressure here, and God uses pressure, as I mentioned, to squeeze us to the point of supplication. Supplication is a good old word. It means begging. It means asking. It means coming to the Lord earnestly and humbly before him. And this is where David's at in these first five verses. He wants the wrongs to be made right. He's an innocent man, yet Saul is after him. A lot of people are believing wrong things about him. He wants vindication. Pressure reveals what's really on the inside. Isn't that true? How many people would say that you're under some stress, maybe recently? Stress. Any stress? Anybody a stress carrier here? You ever met one of those persons, a stress carrier? Nobody's going to raise their hand on that. Of course not. We have stress, pressure, pressure, lots of pressure. Where does the pressure come from? Some of it's our own doing. I'm not advocating for that. Some of us have bring things onto ourselves that we shouldn't have on ourselves. But there are some things, if you're living like David, God's going to allow into your life so that it comes you know, against you. It's going to make you feel like you're just being squeezed. And then what's really on the inside is going to come out. It's an amazing test of your Christianity. It's an amazing test of your assurance. If you want to know if you're really a Christian, how do you handle stress? How do you handle the pressure? You say, I turn to the bottle. I turn to crack. I turn to porn. I turn to eating. I kick my dog. I just get mad. I just want to. What are you doing? The question would be, are you calling upon the name of the Lord? That's the issue. We're all under pressure. We're all under stress. I'm under stress a lot. A lot of stress trying to plant a church. But God is showing me. Chris, what's the pressure coming from the outside? I want all that good stuff that I'm working inside of you. It's going to come out. And what's coming out sometimes is not good. And I'm like, sorry, Lisa, because some of it goes towards her, you know. And then other times it's like, hallelujah, man. I just did something pretty cool because the Spirit of God did something inside of me. But it's all part of that training. When you call upon the name of the Lord, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see those things that are on the inside truly work their way to the outside. Let me ask you a question, because David is crying here. Oh, he's crying. It's a vehement cry. You can see that in the verse. This isn't just a quiet cry. This is a cry like your child. I've been over your houses, some of your houses who have young children, and your child will, will cry, and they'll be like four or five rooms away, upstairs, down the hallway, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, and you start running to them because you know their cry. And you're an earthly father and a mother. How much more? How much more if you cry out to the Lord like David's doing? Is he going to lean down into your world and go, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm so glad that you called on my name. 
but we don't call on his name as much. I love the verses that we looked at, verses 3 to 5, because he's talking about a different kind of call. I remember years ago, I was bench pressing. A bench press in a gym is when you're laying down and you take the weight and you lift it off the barbell and you bring it down to your chest and then you bring it up and you do that as many times as you can. And so I'm in the gym. This is several, several years ago. And I put a lot, you know, too much weight. I put too much weight. Big ego. Put too much weight. And there was only one other guy in the gym. And so when I was doing the repetitions, I knew I was in trouble. And so I, I, you, just, you just know when you get to that point, when you bring it down, that you're not going to be able to bring it up. And when I brought it down, it, it got stuck, and it was going towards my throat. And, and I'm laying there, and then, I mean, what was my reaction? What do you think I did? Hey, excuse me over there. Any, anybody around? <laughs> I'm just needing a little bit of help over here. And I was like, help! That's the kind of call we're talking about. Help! And the guy came running over, and he grabbed it off my throat. People die like that, you know. People die all the time by getting a, a barbell stuck on their throat, and they suffocate. We're talking about a different kind of call. This isn't just God before your meal. God is great. God is good. Thank you for our food. Amen. You ever prayed that when you were a kid? That's what I was taught. Or before bed. What's the one? Lay me down to sleep, and I pray that I don't die when I'm asleep. I don't know what that goes like, but it's like, it's ridiculous. It's, that's not the kind of prayer we're talking We're talking about, God, I need you. I need you to show up for my child. I need you to show up because my body is breaking down. I need you to show up and listen to my prayers. Listen, if you were going to call 911, right? Has anybody ever called 911 before? You've had to? I've never had to have to do that. I hope I don't ever have to. We have three hands that went up. Hi, this is 911. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is Chris. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, so how, what's it like to be a 911 operator, you know? And what's your name? And, and what? You're not going to be like that. You're going to be like, hey, my house is on fire. Somebody's breaking into your house. Hey, I just needed somebody to talk to you tonight. How you doing over there? Yeah. You're going to be like, hey, somebody's breaking into my house. Would you get a cop over here, please? That's the kind of call we're talking about. When's the last time you called out to the Lord like that? I don't think the church is calling on the name of the Lord like that. Number two. When the protection of God becomes your source of confidence and security. This is in verses 6 to 9. Let's talk about the protection of God. You'll look at verse 6. I, I call upon you, we've already read it, for you will answer me, O God, incline your ear to me and hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek what? What's the next word? Refuge. Refuge. I need protection, God. For the people who seek refuge from you, from their adversaries at your right hand. You want to be near God? Stay near his right hand. That's reference to being close to God. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. What is God like? Big bird at Sesame Street? What is this? Is God a bird? Why is there reference to wings? Because a, a bird will take care of its, its young, and the young will go underneath the wings to be protected. It's a reference to God. This is how God protects us, David is saying. Verse 9, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. The protection of God. Listen, God will never, ever, ever, let me just say it one more time, ever let you go unprotected. Not one time. You wouldn't be a faithful father. 
He wouldn't be a good God. Listen, going back to earthly fathers, your son comes to you. Ben plays football, right? I played football when I was his age, 80 pounds. I was part of the junkyard dogs. I was like third string, 80 pounds. I was like, Dad, I got to play football. I got to play football. Can you imagine your son coming to you wanting to play football? Listen, Dad. And you're like, yeah, sure. That's awesome. You know, let's go. Go down to the field. You know, everybody's set up. Everybody's ready to play the game. You know, and your kid's looking up you in the eye going like, Dad, I'm, I'm missing a few things, like a helmet, shoulder pads, you know, some knee pads. Nah, you don't need that, son. Just go get them. You know, I mean, would you do something like that? You know what would happen to your kid on the first play? <laughs> if he didn't have the helmet and the protection with the shoulder pads and the knee pads? Can I just say to you, you're an earthly father and you wouldn't do that? How much more? Your heavenly father is protecting you. He's protecting you. What God is doing to David, he's redirecting his focus away from man, and he's putting it on God. And you're secure. You are secure. He is a shelter from the storm. Lisa and I lived in Phoenix. We were at the pool. It's a community pool. All of a sudden, we look into the sky, and we see these weird-looking clouds coming at us, and they're turning like this. And I'm looking into the sky, talking to some people. I'm saying, what in the world is that? And they said, we need to get inside quick. So everybody got their kids and all their belongings and started moving out into their where they lived, into their homes. And sure enough, as soon as we got on the other side of that door, uh, everything was covered in sand. It was known as a monsoon. It was weird. We had refuge. Our house was a protection. David said, hide me in the shadow of your wings. We protect from harm. This is what we do as earthly parents. This is what God does he is our protector. He is our protector. I have a younger brother. He's two years younger than me. I have an older brother. He's a year older. I'm the middle child. I mentioned before, I'm the confused middle child. And so the young, my younger brother came into high school. I made it there first, two years ahead of him. But when he came in as a freshman, he was so scared. I can still see my brother Dan. Now, he's about six feet. I'm 6'2". And so he's a pretty big guy now. But when he was just a little guy, I can still see him in my mind's eye coming into to the hallways of our school. And I, again, I was, I was a junior, he's a freshman, and he's terrified. And so he's walking the halls, and of course you had bullies back then, you had people making fun of people and sticking their heads down the toilet and all those initiation rites that we had in our school. And so when I would see my brother, I would watch his insecurity. Even, I, I, just, I can feel it today. And so when people would gather around my young brother, you know, and want to bully him, I'd walk up to that group, you know, and Fellas, how's it going? I'd have that voice. It was just, can I help you out here? And my younger brother would be just like, oh, he's here. He's here. He's my protector. And you can see my brother's confidence just get a little bit more sure because I was there. And so God, how much more God is with us to protect us. And this is what David is talking about here. He says in Psalm 41, in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him. 59.1, deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. 68.5, father to the fatherless and protector of widows is God. Isn't that wonderful? But here's the thing. At times, we want to turn to others for protection when we should be turning to God. And I'm all for police. I'm all for firefighters. They save a lot of lives. I'm all for seatbelts. I'm all for helmets. 
I'm all for all of those things that bring protection into our life. But God showed me 10 years ago. He said, Chris, you're turning to man. You're turning to man. I'm turning, we were trying to adopt those three girls I told you about. I was turning to a lawyer. The lawyer's going to save me. The lawyer's coming to my rescue. He's going to protect my family. Not happening. And God said, I'm your protector. Don't turn to man. Me first. So how many people, when you're in trouble, what do you usually do? You look to a human being first. Don't you? Come on. Come on. Returning to human beings first, calling up the so-and-so, so I need help, I need money, I need this, I need... Well, why not call upon the name of the Lord and see him do some miraculous things? Amen? Number three, when the providence of God, number three, when the providence of God will ultimately lead us to victory over the enemy. This is wonderful. It's a theological term, providence. It means our steps are ordered of the Lord. Yes, all of our steps have been ordered of the Lord, based on his wisdom, his goodness, and his faithfulness. And only God could do this. Your life isn't about chance. It's not about luck. Can I just encourage you to reword your vocabulary as a Christian? And don't say something like, good luck. Right? How many of you ever say that? We all do, right? Let's try to rearrange our thinking and go theological on it. Now, I'm not saying good providence, (laughs) you know, good providence. I'm not saying you need to be hyper-spiritual like that. I'm just saying rethink things. There is no luck. There is no luck, and there's no chance. If you do have luck and chance, you don't have a sovereign God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to believe in a non-sovereign God who's in control. Because then you've got a God that is not God. I need God to be God. We're talking about the providence of God. It's ultimately will lead us to the victory over the enemy. Watch verse 10. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. He's talking about the enemies now. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. It's like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. This is crazy. They think they're all that. They think they're really sovereign. They think that they're in control. But no, God's providence. He is sovereign and he is providentially guiding David. He allowed Saul to do what he did. His steps are ordered of the Lord. Both are ordered of the Lord. Both. Saul's steps are ordered of the Lord. That'll cause a theological meltdown if you try to figure out some of that. We won't get into that now, but it's true. Your enemy that's against you, even their steps are somehow ordered of the Lord. And then in verse, uh, rise, O Lord, verse 13, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion it is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure and they... They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. This is all talking about the world, the enemy. They think that they're doing something against God's own people. Listen, God, God allowed it, and he allowed it to happen in Job's life. And some of you are thinking, why have I gotten hit so hard? Why have I gotten attacked so much? Because God allowed that. Could he have stopped it? Sure. We've got to trust him. He knows what he's doing. These people are just full of themselves is really what's going on here. So David knows in his heart, he knows that God is the one who is guiding his every step. You know, God makes a way there seems to be no way. Remember that cheesy Christian song? God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I can't even remember how it goes. I sang that song in a FedEx truck about 12 years ago. And uh, the Saul was throwing spears at me, lying, slandering about me. My days in ministry were done. 
in that area. They were done because this high-profile pastor that I served with was now slandering and, and lying and spreading all kinds of stuff about me. And so I'm riding in a FedEx truck going, God, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And I'm totally crying, and I'm like, I called upon the name of the Lord. And then I started singing that cheesy song. God, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And I'm crying. I'm like, God, I don't see a way. It was probably two weeks after that I met some Christians. They prayed over me, and these are the charismatic type. <laughs> they were like laying hands on my head, you know, and they're like, I've got to pray for you, and they're speaking in tongues and doing all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is a little bit intense for me, you know? But it was like two weeks after that that God opened a door that only he could have opened. Now, why did he do that? I think he did it for one reason. I called on his name like David was calling on the name of the Lord. Breakthroughs are coming if you call on his name. They will come. Number four, when the presence of God becomes your ultimate satisfaction. This is in verse 15 and finally. When the presence of God becomes your ultimate satisfaction. Verse 15, he says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, which is a reference to him dying and eventually going to the other side, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David is looking forward to eternity with his father. He's looking forward to being in the very immediate, perfect presence of God. But for now, we have manifest presence. We don't have the perfect presence of God like heaven. But we have manifest presence. We learn that in, in vertical church. And so David is realizing more and more that his longing, his satisfaction is coming when he is just in the presence of God, when he's near God. He can sense God. He knows that God is, is right there. Have you ever had that experience? I had that just a, a few times uh, recently. And I was just tearing up, and I'm like, God, I know that you're near me right now. I know it. Harvest Reading, we're going to go to the Lord's table together. We're going to go to the Lord's table, and this is going to be your, your time to just say to the Lord, Lord, I love you. Uh, Lord, I, I want more than anything to be that kind of Christian that calls upon your name, because your name is the one that rescues me. Before we go to the table, we're going to pass out these little where are those? We got those? Are they out? Can I just have one of them so I can explain this? Because some people are looking at this like, we've never seen this before. And so this is what we're